Welcome to The Checkup, brought to you by Barry Nelson's Health Law Team. The Checkup is a series of interviews, case studies and stories with some truly interesting and innovative people from all kinds of backgrounds, lawyers, doctors, authors, cyber experts and more. Together we provide a regular dose of all the latest happenings in healthcare and tackle some of the big issues within the industry. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with our team, head to bnlaw.com.au. Welcome to the latest episode of The Checkup. My name's Sam Pillay and I'm joined by Katrina Moore and we're a part of Barry Nelson's National Health Law Team. The healthcare environment, with its heavy workloads, demanding pace and significant time pressures, can put practitioners at a high risk of burnout. Also known as the invisible disease, burnout is the depletion of an individual's coping resources as a result of prolonged periods of workplace stress. Symptoms include fatigue, sleep difficulties, emotional exhaustion and cynicism. But we all know that prevention is better than a cure. In today's podcast, we hope to discuss steps to prevent burnout and increase resilience in dealing with the everyday stresses of life. For this topic, we are thrilled to be speaking with Chelsea Pottinger. Chelsea is the Director of EQ Consulting, international speaker, mental health ambassador, and key figure in the mindfulness movement. She works with high-profile clients to provide them with life-changing tools to increase resilience in everyday life. We were very lucky to feature Chelsea as a keynote speaker at our most recent Brisbane Health Forum in November. The session was just brilliant and crammed full of the latest neuroscience, and our audience loved the tips and strategies they took away. So we thought we'd invite her back to continue the conversation on the checkup. Welcome and thanks so much for joining us on today's episode, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be part of this with you ladies. So Chelsea, would you mind telling us about what it was that sparked your interest in becoming an advocate for mindfulness and helping people deal with stress and fatigue? Sure. So in my previous life, uh, before I kind of had a life adversity, I was in the corporate space and I, I really knew what the challenges were like working really long hours. I used to drink pretty heavily at night times with clients and then I'd get up in the morning, do a lot of exercise. I was training for triathlons at the time. I would do, you know, the triple shot flat light to get me going and then do a 12 hour day. And my strategies for for stress really were to exercise super hard and everything in my life was kind of quite hard. Like I worked hard, I partied hard and I worked out hard and I had no exposure to any healthier coping strategies really along that corporate career. And then uh, having a mental health adversity for me severely in 2015 where I suffered postnatal depression, that gave me a real insight and experience of what it was like to experience suicidal ideation and ending up in hospital And it made me really pivot into going down a career path of studying psychology, becoming an ambassador for mental health charities like RUAK and the Gidget Foundation, and now going back into the corporate space to equip professionals with healthier coping strategies. And my passion, I suppose, for the rest of my life is really this mental health awareness and practical brain hacks to help people thrive, especially the time-compressed ones, because I was that myself, and I just wish I knew about these healthier coping strategies I I now know about. Mm, that's brilliant. And I think that scenario that you described is probably familiar to a few um, a few people in in our industries. So burnout's growing at an alarming rate. And a, a recent study of nearly 7,500 full-time employees found that 23% reported feeling burnt out at work often or always. So why is it so important for professionals to be aware of burnout and its effects? 
I think it's really important to, to really know what your triggers are. And also I'm, I'm huge into biofeedback devices and biohacking my body. So I'm always measuring my body with data and things like that. So I know in my body, if I wake up in the morning, what my performance scores are. And I think it's really important that you really listen to your body. So you, you know, no one's really got time to be honest, to have an underperforming week, to have a week where you're not productive, to have a week where you turn up as a physical shell, but mentally you're not there. So I think it's really crucial that we start addressing it, but then setting some really good boundaries around us as individuals. So we behave consistently on that. And it's going to be different for everyone. You know, it's, it's really important that people get super clear on their own boundaries. So there's zero confusion of what their framework is for good energy. And, you know, we've got different ideas at my company and what we do as a culture, but it's really finding out what it is for them that's healthier coping strategies. So they catch themselves early so they then don't end up getting sick or suffering presenteeism or just not having enjoyment and happiness in their, in their life. And Chelsea, you alluded to this a little bit in terms of biohacks, but a recent study reported that individuals suffering from burnout experience higher levels of insomnia and sleep fragmentation than the general population. So we know that there's a strong correlation between sleep habits and burnout, but what are some quick tips that our listeners could use at night to improve the quality of their sleep? Yeah, sure. So my whole philosophy is you can only manage what you can measure. And that's why I wear a lot of biofeedback devices. One of them is the Aura Ring, which is made by some scientists over in the States. And it tracks people's REMs. It's a bit more granular than your Fitbits are. It tracks the REMs. It tracks your heart rate variability while you sleep and you're breathing. And the other one's called the Whoop device, which is W-H-O-O-P. I've been trialling that for a few months. And I'm actually not sponsored by either brands. I just really <laughs> like them because of the clinical evidence behind them. But here's, here's some really good tips for people. First of all, we recommend no coffee about six hours before bed just because the coffee has such a um, such extreme half-life. So it takes that long for it to get throughout the system. Alcohol is another one. And, uh, and it's amazing, you know, alcohol, we kind of use that. It's quite a paradoxical thing because you use it to get off to sleep. Um, mm. But it, the reverse happens. You get sedated for the first part of the night. You then get rebound insomnia. And that's usually when you wake up to do a wee. And then you come back and you stay light REM. <laughs> So people, you know, and people will challenge us on this and I say to them, hey, why don't you have a look, first of all, on PubMed where the research is and then go check your body. And so they say about two drinks is kind of the limit. And if you step over that two drink rule two hours before bed, then what happens is you experience this uh, rebound insomnia and you don't clock enough deep NREM sleep, which is like the most restorative sleep for us to make up, wake up really energised. So you only need around about 1.5 hours of deep NREM sleep. And a lot of Australians aren't getting it. So they're getting the, the quantity. So they're asleep for seven and a half to eight hours, but we're kind of lacking the quality. Uh, so that's another really good hack is, is no more than two drinks um, during the week. We usually say a few alcohol-free nights if you can. And then on the weekend, it's up to you. You know, if you had a wedding or 40th or having a good time, then, you know, you've got the control there whether you want to light yourself up and have a big night because you're not really going to sleep that well anyway that night. So it's up to you. Um, then, but during the week, we really need to thriving as, as professionals uh, in terms of screens, this is probably my best hack. I probably get a couple hundred emails a week easily based on this hack. And that sounds like a lot of emails, but it's not really. We, we see about 5,000 people a week keynote speaking. So wow. if we get a couple hundred emails every week based on this particular hack for screens. So this is my favourite one for anyone that's suffering any forms of insomnia is that if you're on your screens half an hour before bed, 
what happens is the blue light and the red light will come back through your eyeball and the screens include your phone, your computer, the TV, and then also a Kindle if it's off a backlight. And what happens again is that blue light will come through the eye, stimulate these things called retinal ganglion cells, send a message back there to this thing called a pineal gland, which is your master gland, produces melatonin. Now, when that light signal comes through, it'll tell the pineal gland to switch off melatonin because it's still daylight, so it's too dangerous for the brain to take you down into a deep NREM sleep. So you don't get down and deep. You stay quite light REM and you'll sort of daydream most of the night. And we see it, A, in the PubMed research last year, trending a lot around this melatonin circadian disruption. And then I see it anecdotally overnight when I check it out myself on my biofeedback devices. And it's really interesting because even when we train, you know, our construction companies and we'll get challenged on this particular biohack and uh, they'll say, that's crap. You know, I watch the TV on the couch and I fall asleep <laughs> watching a movie, love. And I'll say, to them, <laughs> like, well, how do you explain that, that hack? And I said, well, you know, how are you waking up? You're bouncing out of your bed, good energy. And they're like, no. And I say, you know what, we kind of know that because the science shows us it. And then we go biohack ourselves and I show them my biofeedback uh, results. And it'll show, you know, you, you do get enough sleep. Like, the, again, the quantity is there, but what lacks is the quality. So the deep NREM goes off. So we just say, hey, you don't even need a fancy biofeedback device to tell you this stuff. Just check yourself. You know, get off the screens half an hour before bed. Uh, for my larks who are listening, they're early to bed, early to rise. We usually say about 9 o'clock. And then for my night owls, they, they have a, a different sort of bedtime to the larks. It's 10.30 in terms of the screens. So then you've got about half an hour of unwinding and having some kind of, you know, sleep routine, whether that's hot shower, brushing your teeth, gentle stretching, meditation is excellent for the brain to get into sleep, journaling, gratitude, talking to your partner. You could have sex. That's really good for, for sleep. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Avoid clock watching in that period of time. Uh, not, not while you're having sex. I mean, during that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having a really good pre-sleep routine. And then there's some other little hacks around your room really needs to be super quiet. So if you're in the city and you've got a lot of, you know, street noise, we say maybe just popping out a white noise app on your phone. So Calm or Headspace has got white noise apps. It sounds like raindrops or ocean waves. A bedroom fan will actually do the trick for some white noise. Uh, if you have a partner that snores, we say definitely get them checked for sleep apnea. It is so detrimental to the brain, so we need them to get checked. So if your partner's snoring, getting them to go see a doctor and get sleep apnea checked on. Uh, you could get a bed divorce. So that's quite trending at the moment. And uh, <laughs> people will say, what do you mean? And uh, a couple of my good friends who are uh, they're in the sort of sex psychology space and do a lot of relationship counselling. They say bed divorces are probably one of the most impactful ways to have a positive relationship. So you go in, have your intimacy, you can even read your book next to your partner and when it's time to sleep, you go to different rooms in the house. That way they're getting a good eight hours, you're getting a good eight hours, so your conversation and you're obviously in a better mood the next day. Um, the <laughs> next one is it needs to be cool. So we want the room to be super cool. So investing into... There's these new chili pads and allers that are that are trending. They've been sort of out for the last five years. We've got one in our house in Jeringong. It just takes the mat mattress temperature. It's like a bed topper and it, it just has cool water running through it. So it brings your body core temperature down. 
And that's a really effective way rather than having air conditioning into the bedroom. You could also, you know, if you've got the luxury of opening up your bedroom window, you can have cool air coming in that way. Uh, and again, if you're, if it's too noisy, if you're in a city, maybe it's a bedroom fan and then having, you know, a really nice oxygen releasing plant in the room. So if you, you know, a lot of people's rooms aren't oxygen rich enough. So we say, why don't you look into getting a plant that releases oxygen and exchanges that formaldehyde? So there's only three plants that do it. Uh, one's called the peace lily, another one's called the aloe vera plant, and the third one's called the mother-in-law tongue. So having one of those plants in your bedroom, if you don't use organic cleaners or clean with, you know, your white vinegar and bicarb soda and you've got chemical cleaners in your house, I'd really encourage you to look into an oxygen-releasing plant because it would exchange out that formaldehyde that's in your air into nice, rich oxygen for yourself. Um, a couple of other yes. tips, investing in a humidifier. Definitely get your home checked for mould. If you suspect mould in the house, mould is so detrimental to our health. And then the very last tip is around your room needs to be dark. So investing in block-out curtains, have a really good eye mask. I, I travel with my eye mask just to block out all that light in the hotel rooms. If you've got your smartphone in your bedroom, just turning that face down. I, I actually prefer screens outside of the bedroom, but if, if you need it in there, then screen down. So there's a couple of tips that I hope are helpful that someone can grab onto one of those. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the pre-sleep routine, but on waking, are there any practices that we could use to improve clarity and promote resilience for the day ahead? Yeah, sure. So I, I always read a lot about successful people all the time, their, their biographies, and they all have some form of morning routine. And for me, mornings are super sacred. So a lot of people always ask me, what what do you do in the morning, Chelsea? Because I'm, I'm huge about not checking your mobile phone when you first wake up. It's just it changes the way that the, the brain starts the day. And what I mean by that, if, if you're someone that wakes up in the morning and you check your mobile phone, what happens is, and to be honest, a lot of people are doing it in Australia. Mm. Um, I've probably seen about 75,000 Aussies this year just through the keynote speaking. And I'd probably say nine out of 10 people will raise their hand when we ask them, you know, who's checking your mobile phone first off. And what happens there is that you're coming out of this nice delta brainwave of sleep. You kind of trend up into theta brainwave. And when the brain's in a theta brainwave state, it's quite neuroplastic. So whatever you're consuming from the outside in, physically change the neocortex structure of the brain. So I'll say that in a different way. You wake up in the morning, you turn the alarm off and you start scrolling through the news and you see some kind of, you know, murder or a toddler drowning or a car crash or and the, the, <laughs> something, something's going to happen there that's, you know, the news is quite negatively skewed. And what happens there is the amygdala in the brain gets stressed. So you start releasing cortisol into the brain, your adrenal glands come to the party, it starts pushing through adrenaline through the system. And then because the brain's quite neuroplastic, you'll start making down more neuro sort of feedback loops for things like fear, worry and paranoia. And we haven't even kind of popped the leg outside the bed yet. And that's how a lot of people start their mornings. Mm -hmm. And even some of my athletes, when they check their social media, they'll see 400 positive comments and one negative one and that one negative one will derail them for like the next 24 hours. And they haven't even got out of bed to start that amazing day yet. Yeah. So what we say is, first of all, don't check your mobile phone and do something more positive for the brain. And here are some ideas. This is my typical day 
uh, at home usually starts about 6.30 and my morning routine really incorporates simple rituals. Now, I'm not saying that this is what you have to do. I'm just saying this is kind of what we do. Um, but if the one thing that you take away from this whole podcast is that you don't check your mobile phone for the first eight minutes of the morning, then that would be incredible from, from our standpoint. Um, so we wake up, we don't check my phone when I first wake up. I do a simple practice of 30 seconds of gratitude before I even step out of bed. So just laying there and thinking about things that I'm grateful for. So that's an amazing resilience technique that we use in the psychology part of our degree. Then I, if I'm at home with my daughter, Clara, and my husband, Jay, I'll spend quality time with them, giving Clara cuddles and Jay cuddles, and I detox my system. So at least 500 mils of filtered water. If I'm going to throw some lemon in there, I'll usually drink that then through a straw to protect the enamel off my teeth. So it doesn't take the enamel off my teeth, sorry. Then I'll meditate. And that will depend if Clara is around or not. If she's around, she's too young at the moment to, to meditate with me. So if she's around, we'll go for some movements. So I'll throw on my bike and we'll cruise down to the beach and have a coffee. And uh, so there's always movement in my morning routine. And then I kind of visualise how my day plays out. You know, I set my goals out and then we, we go from there. Nice. That sounds like a great way to um, start up the day. So more and more scientific research is coming out supporting the connection between gut health and the brain. So Chelsea, can you tell us a bit about the importance of the gut in taking care of our mental and physical health? Yeah, sure. So our gut is nearly as important as our brain, to be honest, and we, we spend such a little time taking care of it. You know, there's more and more evidence coming through that your gut bacteria and the health of your gut lining is, is really affecting our mind, mood and body in ways from whether that's a minor thing in terms of your energy and a skin condition or whether that's to major illness, which is chronic inflammation and disease. So that's a really nice palatable way to get really curious about your gut health. Um, inside the gut, there's a vagus nerve that connects to the, to the limbic brain. So there's always signals going up from the gut to the brain. So if you've got things like leaky gut or fibromyalgia or you've been on long course of antibiotics, there's usually some kind of impact on your mental health. So some really great ways to just literally start nourishing it. And again, I'm all about measuring stuff so I can manage it. So there's a great company that's just launched in Brisbane. I used to have to send everyone offshore to the USA to get their microbiomes checked. So if you're curious about this, I would get your gut microbiome checked in you know, the next year. There's a company called Microba. They're amazing doctors and they will check your gut lining uh, just through a simple stool test and tell you what bacteria are lurking around in there and then they'll help you nourish up the really good gut bacteria so, you, so you're thriving in a few months. Um, but there's some really simple ways to maintain good gut health is by throwing in a probiotic-rich food. So our, my company is very holistic in its approach. We always go for food and other natural ways first um, as our first line practice. So eating probiotic-rich foods, things like your yogurt, and if you're lactose intolerant, you know, your coconut yogurt, you've got your kombuchas for have it half a kombucha with lunch or something like that, as long as it's less than one gram of sugar, your sauerkrauts, uh, your kimchi, anything that's quite fermented. And what we say is just do that for 30 days in terms of just it could be coconut yogurt and blueberries for dessert for 30 days and then you change the strain. So the next 30 days could be something like your kombucha with your lunch. The next 30 days could be, oh, there's an amazing, um, amazing product out there called Cyto. It's by a company called Eagle and the product's called Cyto Repair. And I've, I've used it myself in the last few months. My integrative doc doctor gave 
gave it to me and it's incredible for healing up the gut. So you could do that, you know, for 30 days. And then you go back to another food source. So that's kind of what we recommend is changing the strains inside the gut. So you've got this really great diversity of bacteria in there. And that's that's an easy, easy way to do it. It's also really important that um, you aren't constipated in life. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me, uh, <laughs> there's some interesting products out there uh, to help you go to the bathroom properly. So our integrative psychiatrists recommend this product. My friends who are colorectal surgeons will talk about them as well. Um, it's as simple as just getting a stool around your toilet. So there's they're called squatty potties. Uh, one of my girlfriends makes a lovely wooden interior design one. Her company is called Proper. And it just gets your feet up around the bathroom toilet so it unkinks your bowel, your sigmoid colon, so you go to the bathroom really quickly, which is really charming that we're talking about that on this, po- <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. So there's a good start. Um, finally, Chelsea, some of our listeners are already at the point of burnout. What's their best course of action in treating it and returning to good health? Yeah, that's a really good question. So again, I, you know, I mentioned at the start, asking yourself, are you okay where you are underperforming due to your mental health, low energy or physical injury? And 100% of people say, no, I don't ever want to be in that state, yet we do it to ourselves all the time. We really work super hard to the point of exhaustion. So setting some really good boundaries for yourself. And it's not what you believe, it's actually how you consistently behave. Um, and it's really important that you map these out. So again, there's zero confusion of what your framework for good energy looks like. So here's some ideas. This is what we do at my company at EQ Minds. These are our boundaries. So firstly is seven hours of sleep. That's a non-negotiable in our life. Sleep is like the magical elixir for life. We have no tech after nine o'clock or before 7 a.m. We exercise about four to five times a week. There's no alcohol for us midweek. That's just a really important thing for me because I'm always up on stage three times a day. So I need to have being really, really good form. And even for me, one, you know, one glass of wine will impact my deep end REM sleep, unfortunately. I meditate daily. So that's another boundary I have. I eat a whole foods diet. I spend time with really positive people. That is so powerful. And I think about that all the time around energy management and the people you spend time with and how you're turning up every day to work or to your family. And there's this great guy out there called Dr. Nikos Christakis. So if people have the capacity to write stuff down while they're listening to this podcast, I would recommend looking at a TED talk called Social Networks by Dr. Nicholas Christakis. And you'll get, it's, you get extremely accountable and take full ownership of your energy because emotions are really contagious. And he's done about 30 years of research in that space. So that's a really good TED talk. So that's one of our life things. We just hang out with really good human beings. It's, it's super important for our own well-being. Um, I get a weekly massage. So that's a part of our self-care strategy. I say no to everything that does not excite me. So I've become like the no guru. Uh, I'm really yes man at the <laughs> to my own mental health, to be honest. And now I'm like the no guru. So I think you've got to get really empowered about saying no. It really protects you. Uh, we have 15-minute meetings. That's one of my boundaries. So if a EA of a CEO tries to override that with an hour, we'll come back and say, we're really sorry, we only have 15 minutes. So we get in and we get out. And to be honest, the other person usually loves that as well because everyone's so time compressed. I do a, I do a uh, flow sport or a hobby every week. So for me, it's uh, at the moment, it's surfing. 
I'm absolutely loving that. I take a sauna every week. And the reasons why I do that is that it's excellent for blasting out these things called beta amyloid plaques, which is linked to Alzheimer's disease. So when you're in a sauna for 15 minutes, make sure it's really hot, like one of those old school Finnish ones. You uh, you produce these things called heat shock proteins, which help with mitigating beta amyloid plaques in the brain. So if you're interested again in this sauna research, I would recommend a lady called Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She has a podcast called Found My Fitness and she's a geneticist, a biochemist, and her PhD is actually in sauna therapy. She's amazing. So after learning about this in our research, I now have a sauna every week and I do fasting twice a week. So there's just some of the boundaries that that we have in our life. We take a holiday as well every six weeks. My company goes completely off the grid for every six weeks we take a week off. Now, I know that's really hard in the corporate setting, but the reason why we do that, A, is so I can connect in with my family and B, it protects my mental health. So what I say to big corporate organisations is this, maybe think about having a weekend off every six weeks. The reason why we encourage that is because two weeks out before your weekend away, you get serotonin, which is the long-lasting happy chemical, so you're on a natural high. You know, you speak to anyone who's going on a holiday and how do they sound? They're like super chipper, right? And you're like, piss yeah. off, mate. I don't have a holiday for, <laughs> for six months. Um, so what happens is they get serotonin two weeks out, so they're naturally on a high. They get back. They might have a bit of a post-holiday dip. And then four weeks from there, starts their serotonin release again. And then they're kind of taking care of themselves the whole way through. So they've got really good longevity and really good productivity the whole year rather than kind of pushing it to the, you know, the the pedal to the floor for 11 months and then taking a month off over Christmas. And then most people get, you know, the flu on day two because their bodies are like, hang on, I'm, so I'm absolutely burnt out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving this. Saunas, more regular holidays. This is great. <laughs> um, so I think for, for everyone, it's going to be so, so different. You know, I think when you start feeling the burn, just really go back to basics and really excel at those basics and what they are for you. So the sleep, there has to be the nutrition, some exercise. And if you're too gassed out to do hit sessions or intense exercise, do a little bit of yoga and some walking. You've got to cut the alcohol, scale back the coffee, do some kind of stress management technique, slow down, say no. And if you do that for three days, that's what the research shows us, three days, you turn that back around your energy. So it's just, you just got to recognize it and then take full ownership over it. Oh, that's brilliant. And that is so encouraging about the three days. I think um, sometimes when people are in the situation of burnout, it feels like there's no way out. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea that it can turn around quite quickly, I think will encourage a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. It's not not too much to ask, is it? And you kind of don't want to feel like that. You don't have crap energy. You want to be really thriving. No, it's so true. Um, and just for the listeners, we'll put um, some of this content, including the TED Talk, into the episode notes. So they'll be chock full of further resources. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for giving us some helpful tips and tricks for exercising, mindfulness, improving everyday resilience in the context of burnout. We hope our listeners will take away one or two key points they can incorporate into their routines and better manage their stress at work. So if you or someone you know are at the point of burnout, please consult your regular GP for help. And we'll include a couple of links in the episode notes to services that you can call. If you're interested in following the work Chelsea is doing in this space, we will include her website and socials in the description of this episode. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch via our website, www.bnlaw.com.au. 
Thank you again, Chelsea. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into The Checkup. 